right, if you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, please turn to the book of Colossians. We're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. This is found on page 1178 of your Pew Bible, if you'd like to look on there this morning. We're continuing as a faith family. Our study of Christ above all from the book of Colossians, which was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a newly assembled group of believers, a church that had begun gathering in Colossae, a Roman trade city located right in the center of modern-day Turkey. And Paul writes this letter to them while he was in a house prison in Rome because their pastor and elder, Epaphras, had traveled over a month and a half to tell Paul that the redemptive testimony of the Colossian church was in great danger of being destroyed. See, certain people had crept into the church who were attempting to detonate the lie that Christ was not enough. Now, they didn't say that up front. A heretic never comes up to you and says, hey, I'm a heretic. (laughs) Uh, But this is what they would say. Jesus is good, but if you want to live a life that fully glorifies God then you've got to have all these private revelations. You've got to have these mystical experiences. You've got to have these external rules and regulations to truly arrive at spiritual maturity. Jesus is good, but if you want the abundant life, you've got to move on to better things. Paul says in the book of Colossians, that is a lie. The Christian life is not coming to Christ and then moving on to greater things. The Christian life is coming to Christ and sticking with him because he is the greatest thing. Jesus Christ is the most important, most significant, most wondrous reality in this universe. And that's what we looked at the last time we were together in Colossians, in Colossians 1, 15 through 18. Jesus is the invisible God made visible. He is preeminent over all things as the source, the purpose, and the authority over everything else in all of creation, all of the church, and all of history itself. In short, you can never, ever overstate the importance of Jesus ever. You don't need anything other than Christ. He is all you need. He is of supreme worth. Well, after exalting Jesus Christ's supreme worth, Paul shifts his focus slightly in verses 19 through 23 to exalt in Christ's sufficient work. And that work of Christ is defined by one single word in this passage that is repeated twice, once in verse 20 and once in verse 22. Verse 20 of Colossians chapter 1 says that through Christ, God has reconciled to himself all things. And then verse 22 says that Christ has now reconciled us to God by his death. In short, the work that Jesus Christ accomplished through his death on the cross is a work of reconciliation. And then by that word reconciliation, which is apokatalasso in the Greek, it's a mouthful, I mean, by definition, these two things. First, the act of restoring right relations, of bringing one person or thing into proper alignment with another, and also, second, the demonstration of consistency between two things. And we'll unpack that during our message this morning, but when you reconcile a situation, 
You bring two objects into proper alignment with each other, and you demonstrate a consistency between those two objects. That's exactly what Jesus Christ did. That's exactly what he accomplished between God and this universe when he died on the cross. And that's what we're going to look at today from Colossians 1, 19 through 23, which describes for us in thrilling terms Christ's sufficient work of reconciliation. So in verses 19 through 22, or verse 19 through 20, we're going to see this morning the extent of his reconciliation, followed by the effect of his reconciliation in verses 21 through 22, and finally consider the evidence of his reconciliation in verse 23. So the extent, the effect, and the evidence of Christ's reconciliation. With that in mind, let's read Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. Paul, moved by the Holy Spirit, writes this. For in him, that is in Christ, in God's beloved Son, in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Verse 21. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. The extent, the effect, and the evidence of his reconciliation. This is the word of God whose mercy comes to those who delight in his law so that they might live. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the great privilege we have to come together to this place to study your word openly. Father, we thank you that we are not left without witness, but you have given us your word, and therein we see the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we see your glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Father, we delight this morning that as we consider Jesus, as we consider what he has done, we will be reminded once again from your word that all we need for life and godliness is found through a knowledge of you in Christ Jesus. Father, I pray that we would delight in Jesus Christ's cross. I pray that we would delight in what he accomplished for us and what he accomplished for this universe we live in. Father, I thank you that this is the message that I get to end 2020 with. This is the message we get to hold on to to enter into the new year. This message of Christ and the power of his reconciliation. Father, help us to delight in it. Help us to rejoice in it and help us to worship you because of it. Because of what Christ has done. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So Paul, seeking to reestablish in the minds of those Colossian believers the preeminence of Christ alone, that he was all they needed, begins to remind them of everything that Jesus Christ accomplished for them when he gave his life up on the cross for sinners. All that Jesus Christ did on the cross, both for them and for the entire universe. And that's our first point, the extent of his reconciliation. That's in verses 19 through 20, where Paul writes this, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, we already spent some time looking at these verses in isolation last week for the sake of Christmas. So I'm not going to repeat myself here this morning, but what I want to do now is to pull a few more things out for you as they relate to the overall flow of this passage and how they connect to what Paul is saying here in this study of Christ being above all. And these are the best truths I can imagine any church ending this past year with. And I want you to be encouraged with these truths and hold on to them as we go into this next year together as a body of Christ. I want you to remember that in verses 15 through 18, Paul has just let loose a salvo of descriptions concerning Jesus, saying that he is the image of the invisible God. He was the invisible God made visible, and as such, being the exact descriptive match of the divine, Jesus is the preeminent one. He is the one who is over all the creation. He is the one that is over all the church. And he is the one that is over all the consummation of all things over history itself. Well, after Paul unleashes those 11 glorious descriptions that we spent two weeks studying in just four verses, Paul summarizes everything he said in verse 19 by saying this, For in him All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That verse right there is where every cult and every false religion departs from true biblical Christianity. They look at those 11 virtues mentioned there in verses 15 through 18, and they say, rubbish. Jesus is not the creator God who created all things. Jesus is not the pre-existent God who's before all things. Jesus is not the head of the church who's over all things. And Jesus is not the firstborn from the dead who's at the center of all things. I mean, Jesus is good, but let's not make him all that important, right? I mean, let's not be so arrogant as to think that all the fullness of God dwells in Christ. Surely Christ can be found in all of these other teachings, and religions, and experiences around the world. See, every cult and false religion and false church will depart from these verses right here and will diminish the person and work of Jesus Christ in some way. They might say that some of what God has to give is in Christ. They might even say that most of what God has to give is in Christ. But I guarantee you, they will never say that all that God has to give is found in Jesus Christ. Oh no, they would never say that because you need our special knowledge. You need our mystical experiences. You need our special morality. And Paul's response is, listen to me. Everything that God has to give is found in Jesus Christ alone. Christ 
is all you need. And you are, as Colossians 2.10 says later, complete in him. See, when people try to suggest Jesus is good, but you still don't have everything that God wants to give you in your Christian walk, you need more than Christ. You need, you could, it could be a second wave of the Holy Spirit. You need private revelations. You need this mystical experience. Or you need this ability to be able to speak in tongues or to be able to listen to a still, small voice. When people try to suggest things like that to Christians who have trusted in Jesus Christ, what they're, what they're implying is either all of God does not dwell in Christ as he is given to believers... Or, second, all of Christ is not given to those who are in him. Now, that doesn't even make any sense, but those are the only two options when you think about it. When you're saying that Christ alone is not enough to a believer, you are either saying that all of God does not dwell in Christ, or God is withholding parts of Christ from us to those who are his. I want you to know, beloved, that that is a false teaching. It is a false teaching. Romans 8.32 says this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also with him graciously give us all good things? When you trust in Christ, you get all of him. And Christ, as this verse says, is all of God. You are complete in him. As Ephesians 1.3 says, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is yours. How? In Christ Jesus. Do you, want to be, do you want to receive the blessings that God has to give you? It's found in Jesus Christ alone. Turn to him. Trust in him. He is all that you need. So that's why our church sometimes looks a little bit different than other buildings you might see around town and around America. It's why we don't teach about how to speak or pray in tongues. It's why we don't teach about how to bind Satan using the names of angels. It's why we don't teach about how to hear God's voice outside of scripture. No, we teach Christ. We teach how to come to him. We teach how to follow him because we believe as a church that Jesus Christ is all you need. Christ alone. He is the one of supreme worth. And he is the one who has done the sufficient work. Look at verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I want you to notice that the impact of Jesus Christ's cross is cosmic in its scale. We don't often think about the cross this way, do we? We tend to think that God's plans dead end with us, right? We're taken care of. I mean, what more could there be? And that's why we get so frustrated when life doesn't go our way. (laughs) But God's plans do not dead end with us. When Christ died on the cross, God had something way bigger going on than just you and me. Paul says that through Christ, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, some people will look at that verse and they say, oh, universalism, God will save everyone in the end. To which you need to ask the question, where in the world do you get that from that verse? And they'll say, well, it's because it says here that God's going to reconcile all things to himself. To which I would reply, you keep on using that word reconcile. 
I do not think it means what you think it means. And that's why I gave that definition earlier up front before we began this message. Reconciliation does not equate as salvation. Reconciliation can mean salvation, but it does not always mean salvation. For example, let's look at the first half of that definition I gave. Reconciliation, apokatalasso in the Greek, is the act of restoring right relations, of bringing one person or thing into proper alignment with another. Notice, that does not mean friendly relations. It means right relations. It means proper relations and alignment. So, for example, using an illustration that all of us would agree with, when a brother and sister stop arguing and hug it out, that is reconciliation, right? As a brother and sister are brought into into right relation and proper alignment with each other, brother and sister operating as brother and sister should, right? That is reconciliation, and we would all agree with that. But I also want you to consider this morning that when a king, a just king, forces a rebel subject to lay down his arms, that also is reconciliation. As that rebel is brought into right relation and proper alignment with his king, as a subject and a king are finally operating as a subject beneath his ruler ought to. That is reconciliation also. So reconciliation is restoring is, is the act of restoring right relations, of bringing one person or thing into proper alignment with another. Second, reconciliation is the demonstration of consistency between two things. So again, another illustration. If you were checking your checkbook, with, uh, if you were comparing your checkbook with your bank account and there is a discrepancy that you find between what's reported and what actually happened, what do you do? You seek reconciliation, right? You seek to make the two reports consistent with each other. You seek to bring harmony between what was reported in the checkbook and what actually happened in your bank account. Well, listen, through Jesus Christ, God is going to reconcile to himself all things, things in heaven and things on earth, and that means two things according to this definition. First, Jesus is going to bring everything into this universe into right relation and proper alignment with its creator. And what is the only, I want you to consider this morning, What is the only proper alignment of a creature to his creator? Answer, to be on your knees. That is the only proper alignment of a creature to his creator. To be on one's knees. The only way to be properly related to the God of this universe is to be in absolute submission to him. He is God, ladies and gentlemen, and you are not. And this is the battle of every human heart and soul. The desire to not submit to the one who rightly created and rules over you. Well, guess what? Jesus one day is going to bring everything into proper alignment with God the creator. Psalms 2 verse 9 says this, that he is going to rule the nations with a rod of iron. 1 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 8 says that he's going to be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God, who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, and finally bringing comfort and encouragement to those who were his in affliction while on earth. But Philippians 2 puts it this way, that at the name of Jesus, 
Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is what it looks like when God reconciles all things to himself. It looks like every knee bowing in heaven and earth and, in every, and under the earth. And every tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's reconciliation. 1 Corinthians 15, 24-28 describes that moment of reconciliation this way. In the end, Christ will deliver the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself also will be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. That is reconciliation. That's what the reconciliation of all things to God looks like. It looks like all things underneath Christ's feet. It looks like all things existing in submission to him as they rightly ought to be. So Christ one day is going to reconcile. He's going to bring into proper alignment all things to God. Jesus Christ is Lord. One day, every person will confess that. Second, one day Christ is going to demonstrate consistency and establish harmony between God's character and the issues of this world. See, for thousands of years, God has recorded in his word that he is a righteous judge who feels indignation every day. He has declared for thousands of years that righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne and that it will not go well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days, but rather it will be well with those who fear God, who fear him openly. So that's what God has said, right? But then you look at the world around you. Then you look at the year 2020, right? And you say, where is the consistency between what God has said and what is actually happening. The wicked of this world are often bursting at the seams with prosperity and live long lives, whereas those who fear God are often begging in the fields and their lives are cut short. As Habakkuk 1.13 so fervently asks, You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? Why does that happen? What is going on? Where's the consistency? Where's the harmony? Where's the reconciliation? As the martyrs themselves in heaven cry out, who gave their lives for the testimony of Jesus Christ and for the word of God, they cry out, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Right? Where's the reconciliation? When is what's been going on going to be reconciled with what's been said? And the answer is very soon. Very soon, as Acts 17, 30-31 says, The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day 
on which he will judge the world in righteousness. It's coming. How? By a man whom he has appointed, and of this he has given proof to all by raising him from the dead. That's Christ. He's the one who will finally establish harmony and consistency between God and the issues of this world that we are living in. Jesus is the one who will bring reconciliation. As Jesus himself says in Revelation 21 verse 12, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. Ecclesiastes 12.14 says this, God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. He will visit every iniquity. He will visit every injustice. And he will make it right. Jesus will. As Colossians 3.25 says later in this very letter, the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there will be no partiality. Right? We don't like to think about that, do we? The wrongdoer will be paid back for his doing wrong. We like that, right? Yeah, Hitler will get his due. Can't wait for that. But there will be no partiality. You cannot look on one sinner and say, I can't wait until God brings justice on all his evil deeds while you live in your own evil deeds and think somehow I will get away with it. Judgment will be visited upon every sin. And if your sin has not been paid by Jesus Christ, judgment will be visited on you in Christ's reconciliation. Every deed. Christ will establish consistency. It's what we long for, but we don't actually think of what we're thinking about, right? God, please bring justice to this world. Are you ready for justice, sinner? Please establish righteous rule. Are you ready to be ruled by a truly righteous king? God, give people what they deserve. Are you ready for that? Christ will establish consistency and harmony between God's law, God's character, and every single element of this universe. We're talking about a thorough knowledge, thorough examination, thorough judgment, and a thorough reconciliation. Hopefully most of you are sitting here this morning thinking, wow, I do not know if I am ready for Christ to bring that type of reconciliation. If Christ is going to do that, then I am not ready. And that's why Paul says at the end of verse 20 that Christ is not only bringing reconciliation, oh, but get this, he is also making peace by the blood of his cross. You see, in the end, when God reconciles all things to himself, every knee is going to bow, willing or unwilling. And every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is a guarantee. That is going to happen. But listen to me, beloved. If that's the earliest moment that your knee ever bows to Christ, that is going to be reconciliation and realignment to God by punishment. There is another way. 
There is a way to be saved from the consequences of your sins if you bend the knee to Christ now and confess him as Lord today and call on him to save you by his sovereign authority. You can be reconciled to God, not by punishment, but by peace. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. No more hostility. No more separation. No more distance. Peace with God. Peace. Paul tells us here that Christ has made a way for you to have peace with God by the blood of his cross. You see, Isaiah 59 verse 2 tells us that our iniquities have made a separation between us and God and our sin has hidden our, his face from us. Paul is going to tell us in the very next verse of Colossians that because of the hostility of our minds, we habitually perform evil deeds against our holy God Deeds that provoke God continually and drive a wedge between God and us. A separation that if not dealt with will result in eternal separation in the day of judgment. In a place of eternal torment called hell. Our sins have to be dealt with. It must be reconciled if we are to have peace with God. And that is why Jesus Christ died on the cross. That is why he died, to pay the wages for our sins, for all of us who would trust in him. And now with our sins paid for, the message of the gospel is we can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. As Ephesians 2.14 says, for he himself, is our peace. Not our good works, not our church attendance, not our righteousness. Jesus Christ is our peace who has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He destroyed it. And now we can be reconciled to God, not through punishment, but through peace. Peace by the blood of his cross. That's why Isaiah 57 verse 19 foreshadows the truth that in Christ and because of his sufficient work on the cross, God is crying out, peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. I will heal him. Reconcile to God, not through punishment, but through peace. Peace by the blood of his cross. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the extent of his reconciliation. And I'll have to stop here for now. But I cannot think of better words to finish this past year with. Then these, I want to finish with two applications according to these verses. That brought me such delight and comfort and peace as I meditated on them this past week. How do we respond to Christ's sufficient work on the cross? This reconciliation that reconciles all things to God. How do we respond? Trust in Christ's sufficient work. That is the primary application 
trust in Christ's sufficient work. First, trust in Christ's sufficient work of reconciliation for yourself. I want you to know that the reconciliation of all things is at hand. Therefore, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, chapter 5, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Confess your sins to God and trust in Jesus Christ's saving sovereignty to save you from your sins, to heal you and bring you peace with God in heaven. If you are in Christ, God will not count your trespasses against you. For God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that you might become the righteousness of God in him. So bow the knee now. Be reconciled now to God through peace by the blood of Christ's cross. Trust in Christ's sufficient work now to save you. So first, trust in his reconciliation for yourself. Second application for you this morning. Trust in Christ's sufficient work of reconciliation for everything else. For everything else. He who began a good work in you will bring that work to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And that's not just the work of your own personal salvation. That is the work of global reconciliation. Universal reconciliation. Be confident of this very thing. The reconciliation of Christ has begun, which we as believers have tasted and now enjoy. But it is not finished yet. I don't know what this new year has in store. None of us knew what this past year had in store, did we? But I know who's in charge of it. And I know that no matter what this new year brings, there is a day that is fast approaching when all wrongs will be made right. When all injustices will be corrected. When all things in heaven and on earth and under the earth are reconciled to God in Jesus Christ. And he reigns over all in perfect righteousness and truth and justice and goodness. Therefore, as the psalmist says, O my soul, do not despair. Do not grow weary. Do not faint. Hope in God, for you shall see him your Savior, and your God. I can think of no better resolution to face this new year with than this. Trust in Christ's sufficient work for yourself and trust in Christ's sufficient work of reconciliation for everything else. I'd like to finish this sermon in the last Sunday of this year, 2020, by reading two stanzas of a song that speaks this truth far better than I could ever express. My life flows on in endless song, above earth's lamentation. I hear the sweet, though far off hymn, that hails a new creation. Through all the tumult and the strife, I hear the music ringing. It finds an echo in my soul. How can I keep from singing? I lift my eyes, the cloud grows thin. I see the blue above it. And day by day this pathway smooths since first I learned to love it. No storm can shake my inmost calm while to that refuge clinging. Since Christ is Lord of heaven and earth, how can I keep from singing? This is the word of God. 
from Colossians 1, 19 through 20, which I now to commit to your further study and your faithful obedience into this new year. To that end, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. That on that cross, he paid the price for our peace with you, for our sins to be forgiven. That we might draw near to you in faith and find acceptance by the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, we also thank you that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he demonstrated his power. His power not only to reconcile sinners to you, but his power to bring all things beneath his feet and to bring all things into just relations with you. Father, I pray that if there is someone here this morning that has not trusted in Jesus Christ's work on the cross on their behalf, that they would run to him now. Run to him now for the peace that only comes through the cross. We thank you that Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for our sins. Father, I also pray for the rest of us who have trusted in Christ that we would trust in Christ's reconciling work for everything else that we are facing in this world. So often we, we pray like those in heaven, how long, O Lord? And we have heard the answer, not long, not long. Behold, he is coming soon. May we be found trusting in Christ's reconciliation in his sufficient work for ourselves and for everything else when he comes. May we be found faithful. May we be found reconciled by the blood of Christ's cross. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.